Uh, but Kyle, you haven't been playing necessarily as often as everybody else. Do you have a favorite NPC that you've come across so far? Like, who have I run across? Yeah, like, 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 like okay, okay. As a player, what, like, what stands out to you? I mean, Yak is pretty. The goblin yeah, the guy goblin, with the crown yeah, that does who the... keeps coming back to life every time. Yeah, you right. have a goblin named Yak. 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 With with an E. Yeah. He's actually like written into the dungeon of the Mad Mage, uh, but I like took it and ran. He's got a circlet of human perfection that we have now made into like a cloning thing as well. So Yak is currently what Yak the thirty thirty fifth fifth. Yeah. Uh, so I have one of those, a Cronus. Yeah, yeah. He's got all of these like past memories from all the other ones, but. Uh, he only has the powers of the character that he's taken on. Now, however, the circlet also makes him look like a human. So he's Yek, the human goblin, who's trying to forward his goblin agenda, but he's a human cleric. Um, but if he dies, he'll be something else. Yeah. Luckily, he doesn't remember how he dies, because we definitely murdered the 34th. So I have uh, a Cronus, who is a kobold. Uh, I'm, the last Acronis that we saw was Acronis 39. But that was years ago in the campaign. Uh, every Acronis is radically different than the previous one. They spent a long time thinking Acronis was his name, but it's actually his title. Um, and it just means big, strong leader. And that's yeah. it. Um, and, but they keep running into kobolds that want to overthrow Acronis. And then that kobold will, with the best intentions for kobold kind, and then immediately get power drunk and become the new Acronis. And then become a total little tyrant. And then they help the next kobold overthrow him. So we're on about kobold revolution four or five at this point. <laughs> and I love it. Because Acronis, each one is more ridiculous than the last. Yeah. And one of them has come back from the dead and is desperate to reclaim his throne. Oh, do you have like a Acronis 33 and an Acronis 37 at the same uh, it, time? It, it's, th it's 38 oh, and 39. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. Uh, to be honest, like the, the one thing that gave me this idea was uh, Star Trek. I love Wayun. And like just how he is just cannon fodder in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode and our conversation on Dungeon Master Tips. I'm Adam and with me today are Kyle and Dave. And this episode is called Role Playing, when role playing isn't enough. Get it? it Role-playing is spelled like when you roll dice. It's a it's a visual gag. Yes, yeah. like that. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> We've previously covered a lot in our conversations on dungeon mastering, including a few variant rules that revolve around socializing during our last DM Tips episode. You can find over 30 episodes covering DM tips, tricks, and inspirations on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps. Or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on Dungeon Master Tips that we've built there. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, we're going to discuss the ins and outs of role-playing with a new DM, Kyle, and a DM who claims that role-playing is his weakest pillar of the game, Dave. Hello. So sit back and enjoy the show as we figure out what advice helps, what advice sucks, and what three different perspectives bring to the conversation on one of the most popular parts of D&D 5th Edition. And by the way, yes, we will be talking about character voices. I think we promised like seven times in the past to do that, and now we're actually going to. Which is great, because Dave has never done one voice ever in his life. Yes, I am actually Terry doing Dave's voice yeah, today. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so before we get started, gentlemen, I just want to ask you both, what is the difference in your words between a monster and an NPC? Let's grab dice. Ooh, 14. 
12, and Kyle's in with a 3. Dave? Uh, an NPC isn't going to necessarily be a threat. There are monsters that aren't threats. Yeah, but my players will make them one. <laughs> I think your players are the threat, Dave. Well, yeah, you're not wrong. But I mean, I mean, really, that's that is, you know, it's a to me, it's just a character that needs to be fleshed out a little bit better. It needs to have a name. It needs to have uh, a motivation. Period. Uh, monsters, they're mo- I mean, bandits too, right? Like it's not specifically wolves and and other creatures. You know, it's people as well. If their motivation is to harm, that's just that's a bad guy. That's a monster. Uh, their their motivation is simple. When it's a complex motivation where we have to get into some ideas, that's when it becomes an NPC. Okay. For me, I don't have a difference. It comes down to, does is it smart enough to have a language? If the answer is yes, it is an NPC whether you can understand its motivations or language or not. Um, I run every monster with the motivation. And sometimes that motivation, like even a wolf, is hungry or territorial or like there's always a reason behind it. Yeah, but there's only like a handful. Like it's... You're not going to get into a complex, fleshed-out storyline because of a wolf. Yes, I understand that the rules exist. You absolutely can. No, no I also, I, I was going to say, most people don't get into complex conversations with a bartender either, right? Like, a lot of the NPCs that we have, their interactions are actually simpler and faster and over earlier than you have with a wolf or a beholder. Or sure, a but when my players walk into a insert whatever... Uh, I will insert whatever day. Oh, Kyle, you're up. Uh, <laughs> but no, like when they walk in, the 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 character's motivation really, like the NPC behind the bar, their motivation really depends on how I'm going to respond, right? Like if they want, yeah. the, 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 they the, don't necessarily have a motivation with a total stranger. Exactly. Right? But so, sorry, Kyle. But like a player walking in is gonna just go in and start grilling them for questions, right? So I need to come up and think all these, think up all of these answers to the questions, which. I don't do ahead of time. I mean, how many NPCs have been named Steve? Like, a bunch. I don't think we ask names that often, to be honest. No, I don't think so either. We jump right to violence. (laughs) Straight to violence. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, like, I'm not interested in the backstory. You know, is is the barkeep there working with his wife and children? Uh, you know, is he this grizzled old man? Is you know what what's what's his deal? I mean, a wolf is a wolf is a wolf. Oh, but see, and this is where I argue that's not true. I know it's not, but it it is in the style that we play, right? We don't we don't get into the and, big and that's that's kind of the point that we're going to get into today is but yeah. the different styles and stuff. Kyle, what's the difference between a monster and an NPC? Okay, so all monsters are NPCs, but not all NPCs are monsters. Yeah. I think it entirely depends on the situation of something. Well, right? every NPC is somebody's monster. Yeah. I mean, you could consider a monster something that is automatically hostile and is starting to fight <laughs> he, you. He just right? went along with that. Davis in the middle taking a drink and he gave me the fucking look like, shut <laughs> what your fucking What the fuck mouth. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, it, there's cloakers uh, yeah. are, let's say, they're just going to attack, right? You're not going to have a social situation with a cloaker, right? But technically, non-player characters, I don't... I, I mean, you, you, you guys see a different. I don't necessarily do. I don't think they have any spoken languages. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, no, they absolutely do not. However, well, I'm the same way. Look, it, it comes down to, I agree with you, Kyle. Like, every single uh, monster is an NPC. Because a wolf has a motivation if it has young around, or if it's starving, or if it is to being territorial, or if you are hunting and, like, you can have all sorts of different encounters with a beast with a creature that has an intelligence of like one right it gets a little bit more difficult when you have plants right mm-hmm. that are out there that their motivation is 
I don't mushroom, right? But when it comes down to the the motivations of, of NPCs and creatures, they can often just come down to the same basic idea of fight. But like, they want to survive. They want to eat. They want to be as comfortable as possible. Shit, so I'm a, I'm a, you know, that's me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and not that this should be coming up in many of your D&D games, but they want to procreate as well. That's like every biological creature doesn't just want to survive, but there's an inherent biological instinct to procreate, propagate the species as well. Protect uh, the species. Eat, sleep, and fuck, I believe. There we go. the words you were looking for. I think it was uh, eat, pray, love. Was <laughs> that, is that, am I close? No? No, that's the PG-13 version. Well, it depends sure. on what kind of praying you're doing. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and what kind of eat? No, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> no. All right. That is a special kind of love. So, let's go over building NPCs first, okay? I've spoken at length about this with Terry and Dan like three years ago, but it's good to get you guys to weigh in on this. Um, building an NPC can be something that is uh, very, very simple and very easy, or there are people that put a whole lot of, of effort into it. In the past, we've discussed the idea of just grabbing a name and a basic description, and that's really all you need. How many merchants are you going to flesh out in the marketplace before you're just putting in way too much time? Have you ever built an NPC with a character sheet? <laughs> yeah, I did. The yak, I actually... Wrote them all out, took pictures, and sent it to Kyle. Yeah. And they, <laughs> that yeah. character sheet was so bad. <laughs> I mean, I didn't try real hard, but like, it's there. Because yeah. I changed some of the stuff. I said he's a life cleric, right? But I wasn't giving him everything. No. He wasn't having all of the powers. With Yak, I knew that this was going to be someone that, I mean, let's be honest, Kyle. I made him because I knew that you were going to probably be the, the player that was going to take charge of this. Uh, and I knew that you were going to have a hundred thousand questions and what does he do? And what does he do? What does he do? So I figured it was just going to be easier. I was sitting there late one night. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to roll one up for Yak. I think the only other NPC I was specifically rolled up was a uh, level 20 Bernard the Bard, but that was like 3.5. And I just wanted to like, you know, write 16 pages on a character because that's a 3.5 level 20 characters. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. Especially if they could, if they were spellcasters. Um, I used to do it semi-regularly, and then I realized, who's that shit for? My guys are never going to see it. So I started to dumb it down further and further and further, where it's just going to be the front page of the character sheet, or I'm just going to write down notes about strength and dex and whiz, just because that's going to be what these guys are using as saving throws. Like, And I just kept dumbing it down further and further and further, until now, at this point, I have four NPCs that we're going to see regularly that are going to ally with the party and could get into initiative with you guys. I give you a little recipe card. Yeah. With the basic stats that you need to know. Do they have dark vision? What languages do they speak? So on and so forth. Because they become little little resource bags, right? Essentially. They never have enough hit points to last very long. Um, but if they're an ally, I let them um, I let them roll death saves. They're also super fucking squishy and I will go for the kill. We've talked about uh, attacking the character sheet. And allies is a way to do that, right? So it, it makes the threat very real without you having to rely on knocking down the 10 million hit points that every 5th edition player has. Well, yeah. And that's what I really like, because you do that on the Sunday group that I play in. Yeah. And when we're in battle, it's not just, oh, well, the PCs are going to fight and the NPCs are staying over here. It's everybody's in this and people are going to die. And, mm -hmm. I mean, how many times has Dan 
been knocked. I think he's got like six scars by now. Oh yeah, every time that you're knocked unconscious in my campaign, you get a scar from mm-hmm. how you got knocked down. Dan has spent more time face down in the dirt. I believe he has, yeah. Yeah, yeah than yeah. actually on his feet, so. But, uh, but I mean, that's been nice. Like, there's been a real threat. I mean, in ours, in the Mad Mage, are you ever really afraid of being killed? Aside from maybe once every few months? Yeah, not very. But, yeah. I mean, that's also kind of the character I built, so. True, but, I mean, I, I, I don't know a time where Rolo was ever actually, like, in I'm sorry, your danger. character's name is Rolo? Yeah, Rolo. Oh. Like the candy. Uh, the twills. Yeah, I guess okay. so. I mean, yeah, I wanted to call him Raul, but then I was like, ah, now nah, switch it to Rolo. Yeah. Okay, so let's just just bring it back to the topic of NPCs for a minute here. How much is too much prep? Oh, I don't oh, know. I feel like the responsible answer is that you can't do too much prep because the more, oh, yeah, I know that's the wrong answer, but like the more prep you do, the less you have to do later. Does, does that make sense? That That's a, largely the difference between my DMing and Dan's is he's reactionary in the moment, coming up with shit off the top of his head. Whereas, I mean, Dave, you've seen me. What's their name? I don't know, man. I randomly drew from a stack of cards that you guys are going to bump into a mage. His name is, and I flipped to the page of prepped names, this. And that name comes with a personality. Because mm. I did that prep work years ago. And it's on a spreadsheet, right? Yeah. So. Right. That's what I mean by the more prep you do now, the less it is later. Like, if, for instance, when we were doing The Lost Minds of Fandelver originally, I, I was learning 5th edition at that point. I did a bunch of prep then, but, I mean, that's all prep that I've done now, and I don't have to do it again. Yeah. Right? I know how these creatures work. I know how their motivations work. Yeah. And, and to be brutally honest, doing the podcast stuff helps a lot because it kind of allows me to put, you know, talking about it with other people allows me to kind of put a face to the name of things. Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of build on these thoughts, right? Mm. So. So, okay, Kyle, how much how much effort do you put into that? Uh, quite a bit. I mean... Well, you've made maps and stuff. No, no, no. Yeah. Specifically NPCs. Specifically NPCs. I also put in quite a bit of work. I mean, I don't know. They tend to flesh themselves out for me over a while. I mean, yeah, there's... It can take anywhere from 10 minutes to two weeks for me to create an NPC. So... Because it depends on how simple I'm going with it. Right. But yeah. I mean, I do like having some sort of idea, but I think that's also kind of the person I am. Like I tend to overthink things and it's, I need, I need that kind of framework for me to work around. Now I populated a city one time. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, however, How big of a city. Uh, it was uh, 1,200 NPCs. Okay. That is. That's, that's too much work. Yeah. Right. Now, at the time, I was not in a D&D campaign, and I was just flushing out my fantasy world, and it was the main city yeah. that I was going to be in. So I started writing down, oh, and this person does this with this person, and this these people are, are enemies, and the butcher is next door to the baker, and the baker doesn't like the amount of blood that goes rolling down the back gutter out of the butcher, right? So like, and I'm coming up with all these intricate plot lines, and then I actually set a little bit of my campaign in that world and realized that none of that shit matters. Mm. None of it mattered. It made it important to me, but then when a monster would come and I would roll randomly on the table about like, okay, who's going to get killed? Man, there's seven really interesting plot lines with that guy, and now he's just a faceless, and nobody cares. None of the players care. I have put way too much prep into it. And I started to think, as a lot of experienced DMs now do, they say, okay, how many people are in the tavern? They're going to come up with a number between four and seven. 
they're going to say, okay, it is these races and these are the one thing that you recognize about them really quickly. If you're lucky, they'll give you a gender, but more often than not, you will just assume they're male. There's a halfling sitting in the corner drinking. We just assume it's a male halfling, right? And that's pretty much what you get when most people build NPCs. So why are we talking about NPCs today when this is about role-playing? And it's because for DMs, that's what you do. I mean, that's your role-playing opportunity. You're mm-hmm. As much as, as you do role-play as a wolf, you're not snarling at the table <laughs> and, like, gnashing your teeth, right? A lot of the... Well, can, could, could we? Uh, we could. Yeah. Yeah. I pretend to talk in Infernal. <laughs> that's true, yeah. yeah. Is it just Latin-sounding nonsense? No, it's just guttural sound. <laughs> <laughs> moving right along I'm loving it. but okay so i i have a thing about that though i mean isn't uh that the point right um they say that dms do prep work it is for you right that's why you write the whole backstory oh, that's why every things. dm has a super precious world that they build yeah but we cannot always guarantee where the player is going to go especially when no. you get to about tier three and you have the ability to just teleport three cities away yeah or even planar shift and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot that you just can't be prepared for. And as we all know, they will grab on to the dumbest NPCs they want to interact with that you thought was going to be set dressing. Yeah. I, I walk into the uh, general store and I am expecting to meet the person that is running this mercantile. Everybody else in it. Who else is in the store? Oh, there's like a mother and a daughter shopping for, I don't know, feed. And then the fucking druid will wander over and talk to this little girl and suddenly bond with them. And now you have this whole other spiraling fucking side story. And and I, and you didn't, even if you come up with a name and a personality, you weren't prepared for this shit, mm. right? So there is a certain amount of on-the-fly um, role-playing that you've got to be able to do. So is it cheating or is it bad DM etiquette, I guess, to not have something there? Right? Like, do, does that little girl need a plot point? Can it just be a short interaction where you go, okay, I'm done. Or mom goes, okay, time to go, sweetie. Right? Like, they have a totally normal life. There's nothing going on. There's nothing exciting in their backstory. They have this little well, it. And then, is it considered railroading well, to be like that? No. Yes and no. So, the last time we had this conversation, that we were of three opinions about it, where Dan said... Um, yeah, not every NPC needs to be interesting. Get to the point, have the adventure. When something funny or interesting happens, then you lean into it. I said, no, you son of a bitch. Everybody has a background and a real life that they need to have and fleshed out with that because I was really gung-ho on it at the time. Terry said, no, you don't understand. The right way to do it is to have all roads lead to the same place. This quest was going to be given by somebody. This big guy in black suit of armor comes into town, kills people, and steals children. No matter who you talk to, they're going to be the one that gives you that information. So if it's a six-year-old girl or a 60-year-old man or a 600-year-old dragon, it doesn't matter. You're going to get the same information. But that's railroading, right? Like that's... Yeah, that's... That's very much railroading. But it also makes your life as a DM a whole hell of a lot easier because you have a shit ton of other things to worry about. And if you're trying to come up with the plot points at the same time that you're trying to come up with an interesting character, you are going to be overloaded and you're not going to be able to keep up. Um, three or four hour session is going to be fucking exhausting by the end of it. 
Dave, you see, I can DM for five hours in a, in a stretch and probably keep going for another five. Like, I'm into it, but it's because I have all my prep and shit done ahead of time. I'm also abnormal when it comes to that, right? So oh, I'd say so. So let's grab our dice. I want to talk about how you guys build NPCs. I got a 10. I got a 9. 16. All right. Oh, all right. Kyle, how concerned are you as a DM with keeping NPCs unique, fresh, and interesting when it comes to player interactions? Mm, 60%. 60%? Right. I was not expecting a numerical value here, but okay, I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think some I want to keep fresh and interesting, but I think it is more than okay to recycle a lot of them, right? Like, it is really important to me for players to have a fresh take on it and for things to seem new and exciting but at the same time you know a null is a null is a null yeah you kind of have to work things for your own sanity right like a background character i like i'm i'm with dan where he said not every character has to be interesting right so i'm okay with throwing in a boring npc into the background where it is a surface level interaction and it doesn't need to be anything deeper and the players can try to make it something deeper but I'm not going to, right? See, I come at it from a slightly different perspective. Um, I look at the players I have around the table. It's a little bit harder when I roll, when I run my one-on-one campaign with Mieka. It's infuriating because they're NPCs that are, like, very important to Curse of Strahd, and she will walk right past them. I'm not interested. Mm. God damn it. Circle back. This is why it's important. Like, I, I, have, I have had NPCs chase her down the road to be like, listen to my tale. <laughs> However... When I've got a table full of people like I do in our Sunday games um, and I have an NPC enter, this should be interesting enough for one person at the table. I had a tiefling whose name was Normal. Normal the tiefling. Charlie immediately went, oh, that's not normal. Now I'm intrigued. I needed to befriend this tiefling. I knew Dave wasn't going to bite on that. He'd be like, yeah, okay, it's a fucking tiefling. Next. Right? And as long as one of the characters is interested then they will have a fleshed out personality. I always go in with a little bit of an idea, mm. gear it towards one of the players, and they don't bite. Sometimes they do. Sometimes, or most of the time, Dan just bites on literally all of them. Um, but uh, but I, I have to keep it. Otherwise, what's the point of introducing this character, right? Yeah. If my NPC could give the, the exact same information as a note could, why am I putting the effort into the NPC? Yeah, that's kind of why I like like the Mad Mage, these... These, you know, open yet railroaded, self-contained stories. I can add to it. I often do. I mean, you and I have had dialogue outside of the game. Nobody else really does that, right? Not not, not in our group. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's that's what I like about it is everything's kind of there. And even at the beginning of the chapter, like the important player or the important characters that they come across, uh, their motivation's right there. You know, I just, I have to read that chapter before we play today. Moving on, right? It's, it's, it's lazy, but it, it's it's effective. I know that... Lazy know. is not a bad thing in some aspects of being a DM, though, because sometimes you have to be able to free yourself up to be able to listen and react when it comes to role-playing. And you can't do that if you're creating that shit on the spot. Yeah. Being well, lazy is, ne- is a necessity. Sure, but I also have a player like, like Anthony. I'm about to call him out big time. He is disengaged. I know he's watching the hockey game whenever we play. Mm. I know he falls asleep all the time. We hear him snoring. Oh, yeah. He snores over us yeah. as we're trying to have our chat. He is often late. He is often the, the he's the first player that isn't going to make it to the session, right? So I know he's disengaged. I'm not going to waste my time setting up a particular item for him. I'm not going to waste my time setting up a particular encounter that I think he will get something out of. I will for you. The yak thing, the sword king. I mean, you came to me with the sword king, to be honest. Yeah. But like, 
you know, we built on that a little bit together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it really depends on my player's motivation. If they're not into it, I mean, neither am I, right? I'm not going to waste my time. Okay, so that brings me to a little bit of DM shorthand. I like that you said being lazy because, like I said, lazy is not, not a bad way of going about it. And you do have to gear it towards kind of your audience. And remember, when you're playing D&D, everyone has signed up to play a heroic fantasy, right? So really quick, I want to talk about archetypes just really, really quick because these are something that you can lean on. Not stereotypes, which is, you know, the, the barkeep sitting behind the bar just wiping the glasses and what will you have to drink every time you walk in the door? Like, okay, it's getting a little bit boring. But you know the archetype of the damsel in distress, the the big, bad, evil lich. They exist for a reason. So um, let's start with barkeep really quickly. Do you guys have a go-to NPC that, that you have to make a tavern on the go right now. Who's your bartender? Without getting super creative about it, just a touchstone. When you when I say bartender, what's the first thing you think of in a D&D bartender? Surly and suspicious. Yeah, uh, big beefy that carries a, a big-ass crossbow underneath the bar. Oh, I'm the other way. He is loud and friendly and wants to make the most of every opportunity that he can. Uh, he's going to engage in conversation because he wants to know Who's here? Okay, what about a town guard? No, they're surly. They're just like, they're sitting there. They're they're watching their post. Don't fuck around. Mm. Huh? Yeah, suspicious. Well, m- more suspicious? Yeah, more suspicious, I guess, especially of outsiders. Uh, yeah, mine is always, um, don't start trouble or you will end up in jail. Yeah. Just, just don't. I will come in with authority and I will put my foot down. Even if they're level 12 players and it's a, you know, CR1 town guard, uh, I have authority here. Put down your weapons. Let's talk this out. Oh, okay. Um, like a cop. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. That's what town guards. Yeah. Mine are yeah. mostly open to bribes as well. Like a Suspicious. cop. Like a cop. Yeah. 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 Um. What about a king or a mayor? Someone. Yes. Is, is, is that is that your go-to? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is now. <laughs> Kyle, when you've got a mayor or a king or some sort of official, what who what's the first thing you go to? Oh, I I think it would differ between mayor or king. I think it depends on how big they're kingdom or whatever it is that they rule like a king would definitely look down on i was gonna say for just knowing you and like playing games with you yeah a king is going to be condescending oh yeah like big big time yeah yeah he's gonna talk down yeah i i often often do that but i will do that with a mayor as well Mm. i always think it's the mayor from jaws for me that is every mayor that is ever in dnd like that's my go-to stock mayor of just like, no, 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 nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Will you stop this kerfluffle in the middle of town? Come over here and talk to me about your problem. Get it out of the street. Everything's fine. Go back to shopping. It's great. Booming economy and all that. Also like a standard politician. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a, a, a four-person village, right? Like, Dave, do you have a, a besides, yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, not particularly, although with my extensive background in Eberron, I would probably just steal something from there. Yeah, okay. Something that's already been written and just you know, insert it in. Are your standard townsfolk poor? Are they peasants or are they just average bustling marketplace citizens? Depends on the town. If it's, if it's a village that isn't walled. Yeah. It's probably like a lot of farmers and stuff like that. There will be the mansion up on the hill and there will be like the couple of shops in town. uh, And it'll be fairly, you're not going to find a lot of wealth here in a city though. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be wealth. There's going to be your average patron is not. Yeah. What part of town are they in? I think that will also depend on it. The upper plateau. Um, so well-to-do merchant. All right, Kyle, here's one for you. What about a hostage? Hostage. 
What's your typical hostage? When you need to have somebody that is a hostage of goblins or orcs or bandits. Oh, probably children. Yeah? Yeah, children. That says a lot about you, Kyle, as a person. I mean, it tugs on the emotional <laughs> heartstrings, you know? It really adds a sense of danger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like kind of going against the grain on this one. It's going to be the, the warrior. Um, that's, you know, it's... What was the the guy's name? He's on level two of the ma- of uh, Mad Mage, uh, the dwarf. They stripped him naked and shaved him. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah he I can't just, remember. He was Yek did it actually. Yeah, yeah he, <laughs> uh, I forget his name. He was part of the the fine fellows of Daggerford. Oh yeah. Your hostage isn't just a hostage, but they've been knocked down a peg. See, my hostage in my head is always when Jafar is the old man in Aladdin. Do you remember this at the very beginning of the movie when Aladdin gets thrown in jail and then there's this like old bald guy with a long gray beard and rags. It's like, oh, a diamond in the rough. Right. And he's just like this Holy crazy shit, old that guy. was Jafar? That was, well, yes, that was Jafar. Are you shitting me? No. All right. I got to go watch the movie. All right. See you guys later. Um, what's your go-to goblin? Uh, I don't have one. You don't yeah, have a go-to really goblin? Have a go- no, go-to goblin. Goblins are either going to be. Oh, hold on. Is your go-to sneaky or funny? Sneaky funny. Yeah, probably funny. Yeah. I mean, Yek. Uh, remember yeah. Droop? Yeah, poor, Droop. Poor little Droop. Yeah. Just, you know, like, he just wanted to scritch behind the ear and, you know, a treat. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's such a good boy. What about orcs? Dumb. Big dumb. Yeah. Dumb, yet trying to flex authority. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah. Uh, kobolds? Crafty. Yeah, crafty. They're cowardly as shit for me, too. Yeah. Right? Like... They're only going to be loud when there's 90 of them in the room. Mm. And they're all going to be like, yeah. And then if one person says something, everyone's like, well. Like, oh, d- d- never mind. Yeah. And he's going to go hide in the back of the crowd, right? Yeah, Shy dead, and crafty. Yeah, the deadliest part of a kobold is the traps that they've already let, left out, right? So yeah. there's not a, yeah, yeah. What about a devil? Are devils smooth deal makers or are they noble warriors or are they evil, crafty crossroads? kind of devil like what is your go-to devil for me making a deal is a demon a devil is different it's backwards in D. you've got it the wrong way around well that's supernatural talking the, the yes. crossroads demon thing. yeah yeah but like that's that's how it is in my head uh, it depends on how high up the food chain they are well every devil even imps are willing to make a deal to gain more power to get up the food chain like that's their whole shit. yeah but Imps, I'm going to play a little bit more dumb, right? The higher up the food chain they are, the more sophisticated they are, the more smooth talking they are, you know? See, for imps, they're still just as smart, for my my imps anyway, mm. but they're far more willing to risk it. They have nothing. So big risk, big reward, right? What's the worst that's going to happen? You get knocked down to being an imp? Yeah. Right? However, when you're dealing with a pit fiend, they will stop and think this through. And then they will come up with, a, with an answer. So Yeah, but that's more about... You know, how much does this character have to lose? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's talking about risk versus reward kind of thing. But but they're always crafty for me because demons, for me anyway, are pure beings of chaos. They are there to rend, to defoul, to destroy. Right? They're only happy when they have murdered everybody, spread all of the guts around, and made the most horrific scene possible for the next people to find. Right? So artistic. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, not just that. I, I think for me, a demon would be someone that kind of pulls the strings from the shadows. 
You're not going to get a lot of direct confrontation with them. Again, I think you got devils and demons flipped. However, there are definitely some demons that are crafty like that. Yeah. There are some, but most most of them are dretches and shadow demons and vrocks. And they're not really making these huge um, power plays, right? You guys fought a vrock last time. Oh, did we? Yeah. You wouldn't tell us what they were. True. Yeah. Well, that stops the players from looking it up on their phone. So. Yeah, true. <clears throat> Again, another dig at Anthony. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your go-to angel archetype? What's the one thing when an angel descends from on high? Uh, you know what? I, I dislike angels, so uh, oh, condescending you... and a little bit holier than thou. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, holier than thou is the phrase that came to my mind as well. I don't use them because normally, to me, I know that I know a demon and a devil does as well, but with an angel, it, it speaks a lot about what's going on as well. Angels don't just show up. No, they're there for a damned reason. Right, mm-hmm. and I just I, I don't think I've ever really come across too much of it. What about a hag? Yeah, crafty again, I guess. Uh, I, I, I don't think there would ever be a situation where I would have to have an on-the-spot hag. I always feel like I would see that coming. Same with angels. Well, I, I always have a coven of hags in my back pocket ready to go. Yeah. Because at any given point, someone is going to need to make a deal to get out of this situation. And whoop, hags. Hags or devils. That's that's the deal. How are we doing this? Dave, you have a go-to thing for hags? Uh, no, I mean, for me, a, a hag is just the, the creepy, ugly, witchy thing that has a cauldron over there. See, for me, hags are always your best friend. They're always your best friend first. Beware the old woman that smiles at you first. Gotcha. That's just good life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> going to write that down for my Tinder dating life. <laughs> um, so I'm, I asked all these questions because I wanted to see kind of how you approach, what, what angle you approached um, building an NPC from. Because there are a few different ways of doing it. And when you think about building an NPC, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Quirks and characteristics, job, race, age, the physicality, like the description of it, or the motivations and secrets and relationships. Constantly changes. It Normally for me, when I'm coming up with an NPC, I'll get one idea and then I'll build out from that. What, what's the thing you tend to just lean on first? Oh, I don't know. Probably quirks and characteristics. Yeah. I think that's probably generally what I grab onto, unless there is... If I'm writing something, I'm writing the motivations first, right? Like, let's say it's a big, bad, evil guy. Chances are it'll be motivations first. And then I'll build out from that. But most of the time, it's quirks and characteristics, I think. Hmm. Well, Dave is thinking, I very much think about job first. Job. Yeah. What role do they fill? The same way that you said, well, are they, if they're a big, bad, evil guy, then they're... Well, that's the answer. That's the first thing you think of. Are they running an army? Are they a peasant? Are they... No, you know what? To build on that, to be a little more specific, you know what I do? And I was I was thinking about it because, again, this is, I mentioned earlier doing the podcast helps me flush things out sometimes. Uh, I think what I've been doing is um, picking a background, not necessarily picking a background from the list of backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, but like a backstory. But, of- yeah, is this guy an acolyte? Is this guy an outlander? Is this guy, you know, a sage? What's his deal? Uh, and then I'll probably just lean into that trope. And then you'll find the, okay, he's an outlander. He could be a centaur. Yeah, the rest of it fleshes itself out afterwards. Yeah, you yeah. come up with one or two interesting details to either subvert or support that that archetype. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, picking things afterwards is either based on the motivation specifically 
or just something neat I haven't done before. Okay, so I want to talk about characters and quirks for a second because Kyle said that first. When you have the opportunity, like a podcast, for example, to have your opinion go out there to the world, there are dungeon masters who run weekly games out there that will run NPCs very differently from the way you run it. What tip or trick do you have? What's the one thing that you think, maybe not a lot of people know this, but it's a secret to my success when it comes to quirks and characteristics? Uh, I mean, if you really want to get into the nitty gritty with the role play, I think what can you identify with yourself, right? Like what can you almost personally channel? Okay. Can you elaborate a little bit? No, he can't. (laughs) Well, often when I am role-playing a certain character, right, I'll try to put myself in the mind frame of it. I will try to take on ticks, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I'm talking like a king and I'm speaking down to people, I will curl my hand and look at my nails to try to kind of like emulate it. So I guess... I don't know. Oh, yeah, you take on the posture. Yeah. The physicality of it. Yeah, I'll kind of change my whole body situation to kind of get more in touch with the character. So I guess it's easier to draw comparisons if you can, I don't know, share something between you two. What's one quirk tip that you have for people, Dave? Uh, I mean... When you're building it, when you're building an NPC, when you've got to like get to the point across about who this NPC is. So if if it's an NPC that is important, yeah, I will give them a characteristic that stands out. Yep. Right. I think George Carlin said it best. You know, one of those things you can see from the other side of the street. Yeah. Right. That kind of thing. Something that stands out. Whether he's got, you know, one hand. He's wearing an eye patch. He's got a stupid hat. I always think of Scooby-Doo cartoons with that, right? Because you can tell that the background, they're not going to interact with anything until there's that one doorknob that's just a slightly different quality of animation. You're like, oh, that's the thing we're going to interact with in this moment. Or the main character in an anime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like in a video game, the thing that flashes in the corner. Yeah, the the sparkling key on the desk. Yeah, 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 right? Like that's so, that's, yeah, that's... So, so you have one big characteristic or a physical thing that they can see from a distance? Not necessarily. Maybe he has a funny voice. That's honestly not something I do a lot of. Yeah. But I mean, maybe now and then if I'm, you know, trying to come up with something quickly on the spot, uh, either that or uh, a unique name or a name that I know that they're going to just absolutely take and butcher and the guy's going to be in, you know, his name was, Barry, but I know that in four sessions they're just going to be calling him ball sack over and over again. Yeah, because that's how players are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on the podcast, we call him strayed because we said it once by accident and now here we are. I got to say, the one thing for me when it comes to a quirk or a characteristic, um, and I want the players to really get engaged, the thing that I do first is I change the speed. I shift gears on them. And what I mean by that is you walk into the tavern, you can see that it's dark in the tavern, there's the bartender behind uh, the bar, he's sitting there uh, lining up a whole bunch of dishes that he's recently cleaned. There are three elves over uh, by the fireplace that are speaking. There's an old woman that is sitting at a table, a man cloaked in the shadows that is watching you, and a gif, a large hippo, anthropomorphic hippo that is standing there looking at you. He's the bouncer of this establishment. And he says, wow. What are you doing here? 
Now, I've drawn people right into that moment because I listed everybody else matter of fact. When I want to draw you in, I can do it by slowing it way down or by speeding it way up and having a quickling running through the, like, you, the Kenders were great for that. It was the only thing they were fucking good for. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but like halflings and gnomes and goblins and kobolds, all the little ones apparently, are really good for that, like, hyperactive speed that all of a sudden they're really in your face. They're like, hey, how are you today? And like, you have to deal with that because I'm not moving at my regular pace as a dungeon master. Mm. That's one of my real tips for forcing an interaction and the players don't realize I'm doing it. Dave, I did this recently with a massive gladiator that you guys met. Uh, there was a, a banquet hall in a stadium with a whole bunch of patrons and a whole bunch of soon-to-be gladiators. And there was a massive war force. She was like seven and a half feet tall, broad shoulders, and his shield was was bolted to one arm. His hand had been fused, closed around the hilt of a sword. And his name was Gladian. And everyone talked about Gladian. He'd go up to talk to him and he'd be like, Hi, I was literally made yesterday and I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah, he's just a little guy. He's just he's just a little guy. But he's <laughs> yeah. like, right? And it swapped the speed that they were going on. And it made everybody just be like, okay, now this is our, he is our new favorite. Yeah, I think Charlie yeah. squealed. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Casey and Megan were also 100% yeah. on board for it. So, like, I'm, I very much changed the speed. Mm-hmm. But I want to rewind to what you said about the physicality. You sit here and you have your mannerisms and whatnot. Yeah. What is one tip that you would give to someone listening who want to kind of explore that and experiment with the idea of different mannerisms or physicality at the table? Um, what do you mean? How? Not everybody is a natural actor. Okay. And one of the things about, and I'm going to get into this in a, in a few minutes here. Um, one of the things about role-playing in Dungeons & Dragons is everybody expects to be an improv actor now. Mm -hmm. That is kind of the state that everyone assumes they're going to be at. It's called the Mercer effect because Matt Mercer does Critical Role. Critical Role is incredibly popular, and Matt Mercer is a voice actor. And so is everyone else at that table. They're all actors. And everyone says, oh, they're good voice actors. They can do great voices. But when you watch them play, they're doing improv. That is straight up improv acting on a weekly basis. And they know their characters. They know what they're getting into. There's a level of trust with the DM. And what we're watching is not pure Dungeons and Dragons. It is Dungeons and Dragons through the lens of improv. But not all of us are actors. I've got a real solid background in acting and improv. But I don't lean on that as my general go-to. You are just a naturally, um, I'm going to put this, um, emphatic role player. When you get into it, we were playing Call, uh, Call of Cthulhu, and I'm like, oh, Kyle, and who's your character? You're just like, hello, my name is Nikolai. <laughs> but, like, but like, your hand came out and you were talking, and, the, and you'd like, everybody else was like, uh, hi, my name is, uh, is Dave, and I'm here to... My, name is, my name is Dr. Slaughter. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and then, Nikolai, over in the corner. And like, you're very, um, you're very animated. Yeah. But you are with your physicality as well. What's the one thing that you would like to tell people about that? Uh, you don't need to. And it is very helpful to feel safe in the group that you're in. Right? Like, that's the only reason I am able to do it. I couldn't do it at a table full of strangers. Like, I, Yeah, I'm going to be quiet guy sitting over there rolling yeah, my dice. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, just pick your level of fun and your level of comfort and then play to it. Right? Like, play to your strengths. You don't feel like you need to do something. Like, it needs to be this grand performance. I only do it because, I don't know, it makes me happy. Right? And that's 
that's why we play this game because it's, it's fun and it's it enjoyable. makes me happy too, Kyle. Thanks, Dave. You guys are holding hands. It's weird, Dave. <laughs> when it comes to physicality, you've it's watched. Only weird because you made it weird. You've watched Kyle and other people. Terry's another one who's like who doesn't just oh, yeah, he do does a, a voice. Click clop. He's like with the hands going up and down as he's you know like running along. He's he's making the movements. It, he very much does do that when yeah. he's when he's wearing his little high heels and he's going about. <laughs> yeah, down the hallway. That was a thing from the. Uh, Deep Darker Radiance that we cut out, actually. Because yeah. it was super distracting. Anytime he did that, the whole table would erupt. <laughs> but he's like, I, I'm sneaking down the hallway, and it sounds like... <laughs> and was he wearing little... tap shoes? Yeah, like, that, that's <laughs> kind of what, what everyone was uh, imagining. But Dave, you've watched other people at the table have great success at it, and other people who kind of half-ass it sometimes, too. What's the difference between somebody who really embodies the physicality and somebody who, who doesn't? Uh, so to look at me, for example, to, 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 you know, give myself a dose of reality on this one, I think, um, it is very difficult for me and I feel a lot of people, uh, to really get into that when I'm playing online, when I'm sitting in a room with you guys, I do the mannerisms, I, I get up, I stand up and I do things and I'll have even like physical props, you know, uh, uh, a character sheet, perhaps, or a journal entry written down, or something like that. Something I can hand over. The the elder runes that we trigger on the gates. Mm. I've got little cards for each one of those. My intent was to hand them out when something happens, but we haven't been playing in person. It's all been online. And I'm not performing. I'm talking, and I probably am a worse DM for it. Now, I do, mean... Do you find yourself disconnecting because you're not able to perform like that? Yes, but I think that it, 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 it rolls from there. Like my disconnect allows Anthony to feel that it's okay to disconnect as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, does, does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. Right. So I know that being the DM, I'll set the tone, which is why some days I'll be like, you know what, man, I just I, like candle keep for a little bit. Yeah. We'll just do, do the other campaign for a minute or two. Right. That mm-hmm. uh, gives me a chance to kind of like recenter myself. So, uh, I mean, I guess a tip would be, Get in the room with these people if you can. If it's if it's in like you will play a better game in person than you will over a computer. I just always assume that people are are playing in person, but the simple reality is most campaigns are done online. Oh, a lot of them are, um, and not just because of COVID, but just because that's kind of the we have the opportunity now in this shrinking world to be able to just play with literally anybody, mm-hmm. right? So. I would have to say that my tip or trick, if you're in the room or if you've got a webcam set up, it is your distance from the players. When it comes to physicality, one of the best ways to show a character's level of interest or your um, ability to drag in the other people and, and gain their attention is I play with leaning a lot. I don't know if you ever caught this, Dave, but I very much use my upper body as an indicator of how serious do we take this moment. So I very much lean forward, put my arm on the table, lean forward and get my eyes right in somebody's space to engage them. Or when they're trying to engage me and I'm sitting there as a as a NPC that doesn't want any part of it, I will lean back. I will create distance. And I use that physical distance to impact the level of engagement that I'm portraying. And a lot of times that affects the players around the table as well. Mm. I, I want do to- feel more engaged when you lean in towards me. It's, it's actually a tactic that I picked up um, when I was doing directing, which I say when I was doing directing, like I, I dabbled in, in student films for 20 a heartbeat. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, like it was yeah. Tw- 20 minutes was is actually like 
the length of all of the films put together. So, um, but one of the things that I learned very, very quickly was the slow zoom in and how it engages people. And when you actually watch a moment, especially a monologue, Breaking Bad does this all the time, but it's in almost everything. When someone is giving a serious monologue, the camera slowly, almost imperceptibly moves closer and closer and closer. It zooms in so that you are, you feel like you're getting closer to that person. You can use these, these tactics as a dungeon master at the table or even with the webcam as your face becomes like a close up or you're sitting back with a half body shown, right? So that's just something that I, I don't think a lot of people play with when they think about role playing. Role playing is embodying a character. But for me, it's a lot more than that. It is about setting a scene. It is about engaging in as a character with the players to bring them into the story more, right? And so I've got a lot of different ways that, that I do that. And so I, I want to talk about a couple more, but first we're going to cut for a little break. After these messages, we'll be right back. My God, you just <laughs> dated yourself and I can't believe I know that. Hold on. Hold on one second. Okay, here we go. What you're listening to is the Brass Beast itself, the funk slash jazz slash hip hop group straight out of Ontario called My Son the Hurricane. They're a multi-horn, multi-drummer, multi-singer, 12-piece brass dance crew that have toured across North America and Europe, and they've got two albums and a brand new single called Mississippi 88. They listen to It's a Mimic, and It's a Mimic listens to them. And I thought it was about time we let you know about Craig, one of the incredibly talented trombone players in My Son the Hurricane, and his high-energy, high-talent band that's touring across Western Canada in the first half of August this year. Craig, buddy, I don't know if you know this, but I played the trombone for a couple of years back when I had lungs, and I respect the shit out of what you guys do because I know for a fact that I can't do it. So if you're a fan of dancing, good music, and a massive troupe of fierce and passionate bards, then check them out. Between August 3rd and August 8th, they'll be all over Banff, Medicine Hat, Calgary and Edmonton and more, and between August 9th and August 14th, they'll be crawling through the BC interior and up Vancouver Island, stopping in the likes of Golden, Kelowna, Victoria, and Tofino, among others. You can check the show notes for links to their website and YouTube page, as well as their touring schedules, including the venues that they're going to be blowing up. And if you're in the Lower Mainland and have a bit of patience, then you can join me and a couple of other DMs on this show as we catch them at the Commodore downtown Vancouver on October 1st. Again, check the show notes for more details and set aside a date to catch My Son the Hurricane live and or support them with social media likes, views, follows, and downloads. Let's get back to the show. When it comes to building an NPC and understanding how I'm going to uh, attack the role-playing side of things, I usually break it down into three methods. Three real things that I focus on one after another so I have a checklist. 
and this is for the important NPCs. This isn't for the drunk dwarf in the corner who's going to be loud and boisterous just to have an interesting conversation. These are going to be for your, your plot points or the NPCs you expect are going to become sidekicks. They're going to come on the quest. They're going to be uh, the hostage that gets rescued that you've got to bring back. Right, the escort mission or whatever it is. Not that kind of escort, Dave. Calm down. No, I was thinking about the hostage that you rescued and that was a pain in the ass. Yeah. And you just want to like throw him off the next cliff. Oh, like, fuck. Right. Resident yeah, Evil yeah. 4. Yeah. Leon! Leon! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the, the three different ideas that I tackle in order are I come up with their objectives and goals. Then I come up with their motivations. And then I come up with their tactics. And I look at it as the objectives and goals are what do I want? The motivations are why do I want it? And this is the most important part of the entire conversation. And then finally, it's the tactics of how will I get it, right? And every NPC that you are going to uh, encounter, whether it's a big bad evil guy or the, you know what? You, you fought the bandits, you killed all of them, you kept one alive to question them. This guy suddenly has to have a motivation or a goal, or sorry, an objective or a goal, a motivation and a tactic. And the tactics will change. A lot of the times they're not going to be able to get their objective or their goal, but their motivation should always stay the same. Their why am I doing this should always stay the same. For example, um, an objective of a wolf, for example, what do I want? I'm, I'm hungry. I want food, right? Uh, the motivation, why do I want it? Because I don't want to die. And the tactic is I'm going to team up with other wolves and we're going to attack en masse. However... If a bunch of the other wolves die, I'm going to fuck off and I'm going to try again later. The tactic, the objective is still there. The motivation is still there. But the tactic is going to change to I'm going to sneak into the camp in the middle of the night. I'm going to wait till the halfling is on watch because the smaller the person, the, the easier the prey, right? And depending on whether or not you've got the bandit hostage or the king who is giving a decree and therefore a quest or a wolf who is just hunting for food... Knowing the goal, the thing that they want, their motivations, and their tactics is going to be able to really flesh out almost every single uh, interaction that you bring to the table as a DM. But some of them are obviously better than others. For example, that I'm hungry, I need to eat. It's what a wolf and a hill giant bring to the table as far as a, a goal. Um, it's a little weak. It's a little transparent. It's on the nose and it's easy to understand. It's it's very, very simple. But if you hit that drum too many times, you're bored, right? There's there's nothing else going on there. We need to, to vary it. There needs to be something different in, in our NPCs all the time. So I wanted to go around the table and come up with one just off the top of your head right now because we're three, we run three different kinds of campaigns. I want a very clear, strong objective or goal that any NPC, you know, just pick an NPC and give them a strong objective or goal. And we're going to build an NPC right now using just these, these three tactics or these, the strategy for building it. Okay. Okay. So let's grab dice to see what order we're going to go in. Oh, not one. Oh, I got a 17. So. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm answering my own question first. That's always how this fucking goes on this podcast. What does that say about... Never mind, you're not going to get it anyways. Mm. It's very easy to have it be a secret, right? As uh, Objective, a motivation. Like, it's very, very simple to make it a secret. Well, there's my idea. However, I don't want to obfuscate this and, and make it so that it's more complicated and difficult. Um, there are some things like Strahd's literal curse that is a mystery that it takes the entire campaign 
uh, to uncover, and that's too big of a of a motivation or a goal for your average NPC. We are just talking average NPCs in for uh, two to eight sessions and then gone. All right, so not your big bad evil guy, not your your quest giver wizard from from session one or your patron or whatever. Like just just your standard guys. Okay, an example for a strong and clear objective for me. The very first thing I'm coming up with is um, the goal is money. That's very simple and straightforward. Uh, Dan and I did a whole bunch of, uh, we did a couple of episodes on storylines back around episode 126, give or take. I can't remember exactly what number it was. And we got into a lot of the motivations and the conflicts and stuff. And one of the really strong motivating factors was money. Mm. That's going to clearly be a thing that my guys want. Just money. I like money. Kyle, do you have a simple objective or goal that can be summarized in like a word? Uh, they want to make someone else look bad. Okay. Yeah. Look, that's that. It's just that they easy. Embarrass somebody else. Yeah. You don't. It doesn't need to be any deeper than that at this point. Safety. Safety. Uh, yeah. They just want to be safe. Yeah. Whether that's shelter, whether that's a sword, whether that's whatever. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, what's a motivation that's simple and clear? The reason why they want that thing. Okay. And. Don't get into, well, when they were a child, this is like, don't, don't make it a big deal. Make it something that is easy for a player to understand after single interaction. Okay. And, uh, the motivation for money, uh, for me is, uh, my guy is tired of being broke all the time. So he's going to be a, a street urchin, but like a lifelong street urchin. So, so there he wants money because he is fucking poor. There's no greed there. He's not corrupt. He's just you broke. Yeah. Okay. Um. I'm revenge is why you would want to see somebody else's downfall. I, think. Uh, I like the idea of changing it up. You know, you've done man versus man, man versus self, man versus nature. I like the idea that uh, you know, maybe these he's traveling. He needs to get out of the the storm. He needs shelter. He needs to be safe. Right, but safety is the thing. Why does he need safety? Because what? of the environment. Yeah, because in. of yeah. the storm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that brings us then to the tactic, okay? The tactic for my guy who's tired of being broke, who just needs money, is going to be clearly the simplest answer is to steal. And that's that's it. I don't have to go any deeper than that, mm-hmm. right? Kyle, what do you have for yours? Also steal. I mean, you could steal something from somebody to something important for them. Honestly, I misunderstood the the exercise. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So, hold on. You've got a guy who who wants to see the downfall of somebody else. Yeah. For revenge. For revenge. So how's he going to do that? How's he going to do that? He is uh, going to take away his privileged position. So, let's say it's a mayor, right? So, he is going to beat him in the election. It That right there is a freaking subplot. When you walk into a town right there. Mm. And it's easy to come up with this shit just kind of on the fly when you break it down like that. Dave, what's the tactic for getting out of the storm? Oh, make a shelter and and stay in place. Hide. Okay. Now, when that tactic fails, what's the next tactic? Murder. Well, a lot of the time we end up in initiative, right? Yeah. So the tactic fails. I tried to steal from you. Oh, shit. Uh, Roll initiative. (laughs) Right? Uh, but my next tactic would be to grovel. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to get caught. Like, my motivation is still intact. My goal is still intact. My tactic shifted. Mm. And now, just by swapping tactics, 
this NPC is more memorable than Bandit on the Road. If you're trying to, to humiliate someone publicly by beating them in an election and they beat you anyway, what's your next go-to? Frame them for a crime. Amazing. Like, God, this is supposed to be made up. You know yeah. that, right? <laughs> no, but, but... Oh, sorry. But that's that's fantastic. I, I like this as like an ally as well. Not the evil wannabe mayor that like archetype, but the... Twirling his curly mustache. Yeah, not that, but the like, hey, this guy's super corrupt and I need to get him to stop being mayor. Can we plant a dead body in his freaking kitchen? (laughs) (laughs) Please, can you do this for me? The ends will justify the means. Please do this for me. Mm. Dave, uh, trying to build a shelter for yourself and it fails. What's the next thing you do? Uh, I mean, find it. Keep moving. Keep going. Right? Find the spot. Find the thing that's going to work. Test your luck. Yeah, I mean, when you've got nothing else, if sitting here isn't working, you know what to do. <laughs> do you go back or do you go forward? It depends. On? Do I know what's ahead? No. Then no, I'll go back to where I know it's safe. If safety is my goal. And that's just it, right? So that when the players come upon you and you're sitting there, your NPC is sitting there trying to put this tent together and it's failing, right? Because there's a blizzard going on and stuff. They're like, hey, we're here to help. You're just like, no, fucking, I'm going back. And you should go back too. You could derail their quest. Yep. And that's a perfectly fine. That is a an absolute, I don't want to say original, but it, it is it's unexpected when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons to have an NPC say, no, 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 go back. This is wrong, and mean it as a DM, right? To just say, like, you will die if you go forward. Don't do this. I do this all the time to Dan. Where I'm like, hey, you got to go over here to that objective. He's like, oh, all right, yeah, over this way. And then two sessions later, I'm like, don't go that way. What are you doing? Yeah. And he's like, well, you said that. Okay. I didn't say that. That guy said it. Yeah. This guy says, don't go that way. <laughs> and Dan's like, well, now what do I do? And that's conflict that I didn't need initiative for, right? And that's yeah. that's what role-playing brings to the table when I'm sick and tired of just rolling dice. And a lot of the times, guys, my random encounters are not combat. Dave, you've seen my random encounters. It's a lot of times that you just find crazy shit out in the world. Or an NPC walks out of the fucking ether and is like, hey, uh, I'm here. You're here. What are we doing today? Right? Like, and there's... Or it's a crab and we have an extra ration now. Yeah. yeah the, the, <laughs> I, I literally put a crab in the middle of the road one time. Um, uh, and it's it's interesting to, to break down the objective and goal and the motivation and then the... Tactic. And you can change tactics over and over and over again. Like I said earlier about the kobold, who's going to stand up and be all sorts of boisterous, but if nobody agrees with them, well, fuck it, I'm going to go hide in the back. Mm. Right? This is how I survive. By having everybody back me up or by me disappearing in, into the background. And we're going to run into that over and over and over again with different NPCs, with different um, tactics that they're trying to use. And we see that especially with our big bad evil guys. Strahd is famous for testing the party a million different ways before finally saying, okay, you're worthy of a combat now, right? And we don't have enough NPCs, not that every NPC needs to get into combat, but we don't have enough NPCs that are in our games that are there to challenge the players in unique and different ways. A lot of times we hear NPC and we think quirky, funny voice, or, oh, great, I needed a merchant, or, hey, you know what, guys, it's been a while since we bumped into a goblin, Everybody needs the quirky goblin in their campaign, right? And we don't put a whole lot of thought into it. Okay, what's your favorite 
humanoid race in D&D or legacy lineage, whatever they're calling it these days. Besides the player's handbook ones. Do you guys have a favorite like quirky one that you're just like, Dave's is Warforged. Yeah, it's clearly Warforged. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm playing a changeling right now and I really like it. Yeah? Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I love the Kalistar. I've never brought one into a game, but I freaking love them. They're just, in, I like, it's not fair that we all landed on Eberron. Um, <laughs> it just goes to show how great of a campaign setting it really is. Uh, so what happens when your NPC achieves their goal? Or that goal just becomes impossible. I want the ruby, the ruby fell in the lava. I cannot get it anymore. I just, before we, we uh, move on to the next thing, I just want to point out, just because the objective is gone doesn't mean the motivation is gone. There's a there's a part of acting um, uh, mentality. One of the methods is leaning on the idea of uh, the root of the thing is never the thing itself. And I, I've spewed that in a couple of previous episodes, but for those of you who haven't heard that yet or it's been a while, what I mean by that is the root of your issue is not simply the issue. There is a always a root, always a reason why. And when you understand what that reason is and you say, oh, hey, you know what? Um... I, I am super angry at my dad. Okay, why? Well, because he never lets me do the, do the thing and I, I just hate him for that. Okay, why doesn't he let you do the thing? Go digging. Why, 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 why? Find the truth of the motivation and you will always have a consistent character. And that way, betrayal can be very real because if suddenly your tactics have to change or your goals have to change, that motivation is still understandable. The players will still understand why your NPC is acting the way they're acting. For example, this this tiefling normal that I had um, was very, very uh, adamant about the fact that he does not want anyone to know anything about him. It is, he is a private, personal individual. Do not tell anybody anything about me. Oh, Dan fucked that up immediately. Um, yeah, so, and they sat there and they're like, okay, hey, uh, we found this, this scroll that uh, is clearly in Infernal. Normal, you speak Infernal. Can you come translate this for us? And he's like, what the fuck? And then he translated it wrong on purpose so that they would never ask him again and he would be able to, to head back into obscurity and live there comfortably. Because hmm. he's afraid. Because he is a tiefling. But now Dan's like, well, normal's a dick because he translated it improperly. I'm like, well, man, you never bothered to ask. You never bothered to listen to what the NPC wanted. And so here you go. And normal suddenly became an issue that people were arguing about around the table. Mm-hmm. And it has come up three times with Charlie since that, where he's like, I now have to befriend Normal and find out what the issue is, right? And so this was literally just a tiefling named Normal when he first appeared. Yeah. I talked a couple of times about acting. And I want to talk real quickly about improv. Because like I said before, Matt Mercer Mm. is very much the face of 5th edition right now. And I I just got to say right now, DMing is not improv. It isn't. Improv can be a part of DMing, but you can be a very successful dungeon master and never do a voice or a a character body. You don't have to do weird quirks or physicalities or any of that stuff, and you will be just fine. As a matter of fact, these things are relatively new to the hobby. As much as people are always like, I am a wizard. They weren't, it wasn't a necessary part of it the way that people assume it is now with 5th edition Mm. because we have all of these streaming shows and whatnot. So I sat down and I looked at improv and the inspiration that that it gives a lot of people and I I went looking for the basic rules of improv because I remember being taught that when I was going through all my acting training. Like there are a set number of rules. Here they are. And I went, well. Yeah, for improv, I always knew that uh, the the fallback or the the thing to fall into is never say no. 
It's always yes, yes and. and. Right. Okay. Yeah. So let, let me start off. So I, I, I went through, I tried to find these rules that I was taught here, the basic rules. And apparently there is no set official basic rules of improv. And I found a list of five, a list of six, a list of seven, and a list of ten basic rules of improv. Just on a quick Google search. And I'm like, most of this shit is just, like, A, it all overlaps. And B, it's stated very poorly. So I threw out some of it, which I didn't think would apply at all. But I wanted to just address some of the improv stuff really quickly. As someone with a little bit of background, for the people out there that are intimidated about role-playing because it's I think the reason why most people don't want to DM either they don't have the time for the prep and the prep seems big and scary or I don't want to do voices I don't want everybody looking at me and I don't want to put on a performance and you don't have to but if you'd like to it doesn't have to be that frightening so here's kind of my words of wisdom based on on the quick google search of improv rules okay tell me I I want to hear at the end for you guys what rings really true and what rings really false for you? Like, what what are you going to grab onto anyway? Or uh, or what's the biggest, best piece of inspiration from the idea of the world of improv? Okay? First and foremost, the best piece of, of information I could find, the best piece of advice, uh, the best rule is don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. As in, don't get in your head. Do not sit there and think that there's a right or a wrong way to do it. There is no wrong way or right way. Therefore, you cannot fail. Go in and have fun. Dan always does an Irish accent that ends up on Jamaican. We laugh about it in like every third episode of this podcast. I, I think it stops at Russian on the way there too. Oh yeah, like yeah. he does a he does a full circle of the globe. However, he leans into it, and we all love him for it. And and he gets a little embarrassed sometimes, but we're laughing with him, not at him, because he's just going with it. He's not sitting there trying desperately to get it right and pacing back and forth, you know, between sessions working on his accent. You can if you'd like, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The worst stuff that I saw out there was um, say yes and. As a dungeon master, no, you need to say no sometimes. Do not say yes and. Yeah. Y- yes. And. But. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. Oh, you're mixing it up. Uh, a lot of the time I've had a player that goes, okay, I want to do this. And it, it's my job. My player will present me like, hey, uh, this is the situation. I want to I do this, 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 and this. How are we going to do that? Uh, for me, that's when improv is important because this isn't something that we come across often. We got to figure this out now. So it's always okay. And it's not necessarily like. Yeah, but you're talking, you're not talking in the moment though. You're talking about creating together. When the, when they walk up to you and say, Hey, I want a, a sword and a cane. How can we do this? You're talking about in between sessions. You're like, All right, hold on. We'll talk about this. We'll come back to it. Right? Yes, a little bit. I mean, a lot of the time is, do you have any ideas? Like the cane sword is a great example. Like, what are your ideas? Okay, let's let's go from there. Mm. You know, I'm not going to give you anything that's going to make you more powerful than the rest, but we can do this thing for sure. That's but, cool. But that's meta. I'm talking about when you're role-playing in the moment, when you are as a character right now, and you're like, oh, I am a goblin, a merchant, and I have uh, knives for sale. And someone's, yeah, do you have health potions? Do not say yes and. Yeah. The answer is no. Or do you know where we can find this thing? Like, not everybody has to know that. Right. It is okay to have limitations, yeah. right? You guys are getting really frustrated in Skullport doing that, running around yes. trying to figure out what was what and where was who and what was going on. Yeah, and not everybody has that info, which yeah. is which is realistic and also forces you to think outside the box a little. Mm. Another piece of really bad advice is um, that they say, make sure you're always telling a story, which is to say, don't just go up there and be wacky, have a reason and a motivation behind it. 
you're doing D&D, you're the dungeon master, you already have the story, you don't need to worry about creating a big, deep backstory for every NPC that they happen to come across. Like we just said, objective, motivation, tactic, and everything else will flesh itself out. Yeah. Right? Not everybody needs to have a motivation, though. Um, there is okay to have surface level conversations and just end it there. Yeah. Right. Um, that is, I, for me, at least I think that creates a more realistic world as well. Right. Not where you say not everybody's going to have information like that. Not everybody's going to fucking want to talk to strangers. So, and that is an important thing to keep in mind, especially in cities. Mm -hmm. Another one that they say is don't ask open-ended questions or avoid asking questions unless you're also adding information. And this is an improv tactic, which is absolutely nuts for a DM. Ask open-ended questions. What are you guys doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what, uh, what, what do you think about that guy over in the corner? Ask an open-ended question. Like, it doesn't have to be yes, no, or lead to the next oh, thing. Oh, if I said what about that guy in the corner, all of a sudden, half of my players now think that that guy in the corner is now the mad mage. We are in his dungeon. Right. Right? <laughs> so, okay. Give us a little credit. I'm not talking about you. Yeah, okay. The other half. <laughs> um, another thing that they say is never deny, always agree, which just as a DM is stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. Um, there is also a, uh, a relatively useless improv thing for role-playing, but it's it's okay when it comes to, to just DMing in general, especially if you're homebrewing. It's show, don't tell. Don't just say, ah, look at this sword that I have in my hand. It's... You, he, he reaches out and he pulls out this beautiful gleaming sword. And the, right when your characters narrate the actions they're doing, it's a little bit weird. It's a little off-putting, and it should be reserved only for bards. Um, I am flirting with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, when it comes to good advice, though, my favorite piece of advice is always be listening. Listen twice as much as you speak. When you are role playing, that unless you're doing a big info dump. That needs to be how you see every interaction. Because who's the main characters? Your players. It's not you. It's not your precious DM PC. It's not your Bernard the Bard or your Yex or your Gladians or any of these characters. They're neat. They're quirky. They flesh out the world. But the players show up because they're the main characters. Allow them to be. Listen to what they want and the way they, they say it. And you will have a much better idea of how to interact with them. The next one, and I really need to hammer this home for a lot of people on the internet, you don't always have to be funny. Just because you're doing a character voice does not mean that you have to be a wacky, over-the-top character voice. And I, and we're fucking used to that with a lot of the D&D shit that's out there. And sometimes a character voice can just be a character voice. You can just move on from there. Doesn't need to be wacky. Yeah. I'm just a barbarian, and I chain smoke. Yeah. You can look good if you make your partner look good. Now, this is the um, secret that I have for DMing. My, the best NPCs, the most beloved NPCs, are the ones that make the players feel really, really good. So every once in a while, giving a NPC the ability to compliment a player is going to make the player feel like they've done a just bang-up job. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to say, oh, you've slayed the goblins, thank you very much, here's your gold, see you later, I'll call you for a quest next time. Like, worship the ground they walk on. These are big fucking heroes by level one, right? They are going to be demigods by level 10. Your NPCs can treat them as such, and it's okay. Maybe maybe not your your solar angels or your, your silver dragons, but a lot of them will. Um, add new information is pretty solid. It's good to have a little bit of information. Otherwise, it's just a wacky NPC for the sake of a wacky NPC. Mm. 
um, have a reason for them to be there. I did a big list of everyone in the tavern before, and I guarantee if I'm going to come up with a list like that, they have a reason for being there um, in the world, and that motivation, their goal, their tactic will influence the overall story somehow. I'm not a big believer in wacky side quests, unless we're really going off in that direction for one specific character. Kyle's character died last week. Kyle's written up a new character, and we're going to go uh, into the afterlife to save that guy's soul for the next three sessions. That's a side quest that I'm willing to go off on. Yeah. But um, I... Can you imagine accomplishing something in three sessions? <laughs> no. God. No. <laughs> um, okay, wait. I just want to circle back to that. You can look good if you make your partner look good. I think that is also excellent advice for players. Yeah. Right? Like, you should be talking up the people around your table. Right? Like, give everybody their chance to shine. That's that's my favorite thing about... Um, so, Dan's playing a bard right now. And he has the opportunity to introduce the other players. A lot of people are like, oh, who are you? And he will be like, oh, this over here. And he will introduce Megan's character with a huge flourish, right? Yeah. And she's like, what are you doing? I don't want to be the spotlight. Just like, that's not my character. He's like, ha ha, here you are. Right? And... He wrote a song for my character. Yeah, and he's doing these things. As the bard, he's not out for glory for himself. Yeah. And a lot of the time, most of the characters aren't. I mean, there are some that are clearly out for their own glory, but even even the bards, even the attention hounds, will will definitely throw a party for their friends uh, and make let other people have the spotlight, and everybody looks fantastic, right? Yeah. For serious and emotional scenes... Focus on characters and relationships. But for humorous scenes, take choices to the nth degree and focus on actions and objects. Mm. This is good for the beginner role player. If you want to be funny, it isn't enough to just have a voice. Having them trip over themselves or having them stand up, draw their weapon and then their blade cuts their belt and it drops the pants around their knees and stuff is going to be inherently more comedic than... And he's... Uh, he's married to a chicken. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is that that's going to get real old real fast, right? Like if you center it around a gimmick and then that that's your go-to and that's your only resource, you're going to find it's, some frustration it's, around the table. Sure, but you need to do it in measure. My character in your Sunday group, uh, his character flaw right on the sheet, confidently incorrect. And it's funny sometimes. Mm. But as a player, I have a responsibility to make sure that that's not annoying to anybody else, right? So as a player, and you do this as a DM too for your NPCs, temper it, right? It's not coming up in every encounter. Well, it's the point that I made before. The most important thing is always be listening. And that means observe your players. Know when they are engaged. And know if you do something comedic, you can hit that drum a few times before you move on. I right now have an, an old man who is absolutely macking on our Loxodon cleric. And I'm getting some great responses from the players about that because he is very much flirting with one of the characters and he's just this like old, bald, wizard-looking guy. He's like, how are you doing? <laughs> right? And everyone's like, what the fuck is happening? That's fun. He's not going to be around forever. Yeah. I'm not going to bang that drum forever or bang that Loxodon forever. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely worth kind of playing up a little bit at first. Yeah. And then letting that kind of fall into the background mm -hmm. a little bit. And the last thing is uh, let yourself fail. The fear of failure will most likely lead to failure. Don't be afraid to fail. And that is just a good DM tip across the board. I came here to discuss Dungeons & Dragons. I didn't come here for life advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, 
the last thing I wanted to say about this whole thing before we roll the Clearly, I'm not afraid to fail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is you got to relax and have fun. And that means you need to let go of trying to be the best. You can't win at D&D. Mm. You just can't. You can finish this plot line and then move on to another. You can level up to be super powerful, but you can't win at D&D. Mm. You cannot be the best D&D player out there, which means you also can't lose at D&D. Yeah. You can't. Be the worst D&D player out there. Although, fuck, do some people try. But as long as you are listening, as long as you're showing respect to the other people around the table, as long as you're showing respect to the story and what everybody else wants, if you relax and have fun and take a couple of risks, they may not pay off. But when they do, it will be memorable and they will be telling stories about it forever. So, grab dice. I want to roll initiative. I got an 8. Kyle, you got a 15. 15. You're going first. 10. Yes. Of all those things I just listed, what's the one thing that sticks out with you? Uh, I mean, let yourself fail in the fear of failure. Like, and relax and have fun. I think those two, just put them together, right? Just relax, have fun, and there is no failing, right? Like, as long as you were trying and you were putting yourself out there a little bit more every time, then you are winning at D&D, right? If I can be honest, there are a lot of people listening to this right now who have practiced a character voice in their car or in their bedroom and then gotten to the table and been like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, Oh, I've I'm done it. Now. Like, yeah, yeah. I've done that as well. Like, yeah. I, I don't know anyone that hasn't done it. I remember when Terry was first DMing, he would stress doing character voices in the car all the way to and from all week. Every week he would focus on a different character voice so that he would have a whole bunch of different ones to, to play with. Who's he doing that for? Yeah. Because we were the most chaotic, ridiculous people. Like, and we didn't care. He did a character voice and we were fucking thrilled for six months, right? Like, we didn't need anything more than that. And sometimes it blew up in his face. We all had a good laugh. He rolled with it. He relaxed and had fun. Yeah. And, and kept going. Yeah, and you kind of like laugh together. I mean, like when I first started doing voices with it, it was... It was in fits and starts, right? Like, I would say, like, one or two words, and then I didn't do it for a little while, and then I stretched into a sentence, and then, you know, I didn't do it for a little bit, and then, you know, just... It was incremental kind of, diff like, chances to let myself out of my shell, and it's not so much... You know, you don't have to start off with fucking critical role, right? That doesn't have to be, this is how good it has to be, just... Just trying a little bit every time. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, well said. Dave, what's, what's the one thing we, we just talked about for improv that's going to stick out for you? Oh, probably the listen more than you speak. Now, as a DM, well, you talk a lot. Yeah, but I listen a lot. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but Kyle, when we're playing, when there is a social a social situation, I will often name like call a player by a name mm. in order to get them to respond because I noticed they're un they're not engaged. I've noticed that this particular scenario is something that might like that might appeal to their character, and I want to give them the opportunity before the loud boisterous party member gets involved. Right? Mm. We don't we don't need that. Right? So we can kind of have this you know tailor make it. I think really what you're getting into is how to engineer a social situation. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's something me as a person, Dave, I have a pretty good grasp on that. I, I can read a room and act accordingly. This room says rest room. <sighs> and I do rest. Yeah. <laughs> Taking lots of naps on the, never mind. Anyways, but, um, but I mean, that's where the body language comes into play, right? 
I can read a lot about a person just by looking at how they're sitting. You know, I, I can tell that you're relaxed, Adam. You're kind of like leaning a little bit, right? So there's there's a lot that you can get from that. And it's interesting to kind of get them to kind of, your players, I mean, to get them to kind of, you know, shell up a little bit to see that physical discomfort. One of the things I did one time for Halloween, sorry, I'm just going to, for, for a Halloween special that we were doing, like a special one-off, one-shot thing was I used candlelight and then I opened all the windows in October. So it was very, very cold and the candles were flickering and it brought everybody right into the table and all bundled up and shit. And it was a whole different uh, game just because I forced their bodies to do something different. Yep. But I mean, the the engineering, the social situation, like that's, you're not going to get that overnight. It's going to take you years and years to figure it out if it's not something you're inclined to be good at in general if you're not an extrovert or if you've never played with these people in real life like you're meeting through a discord server or something for the first time or playing or hey you go to a con and they've got a bunch of D tables that are just up and running and whatnot you may not be able to engineer it ahead of time to plan it all out which is where these tactics are going to come in sure i mean i'm saying in like yeah, the yeah, ideal yeah. circumstances right? but that's what all this is it's just it's learning how to react to a social circumstance from the point of view of the NPC. Yes. Right? And and that's and that's all it is. One of the things that I like to really hammer home, I didn't bring this up because it's not really an improv tip, it's more of an acting thing, but acting is telling the truth under imaginary circumstances. Now, we can look at Jim Carrey's wild, ridiculous, over-the-top shit. We can look at comedies left, right, and center. But for for these characters in that moment, Ace Ventura is telling his personal truth. And we buy into it because he's honest. Nick Cage, as Ghost Rider, there is no truth behind that. He is mugging the camera for a paycheck. And we as the audience can fucking tell. And that's always how we determine good acting to bad acting. Do I believe you? Do you say what you mean and mean what you say? Even when you're lying, are you being genuine to your own wants and needs? Are you telling the truth? In these imaginary circumstances. And if we think about NPCs from that perspective, that is going to give us a whole new repertoire to work from to be able to have some of the more emotional and serious moments and some of the funny ones too. But definitely some of the more memorable and sympathetic NPCs out there. It's not enough to have a goblin that you have taken, that the party has captured and his hands and feet are bound and he's sitting there blubbering in the dirt. Blah, 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 he's going to kill me. And he's just Roger fucking rabbit. And everyone's like, all right, you know what? Just put him out of his misery. Who cares? But if you have him sit there and start legitimately crying about how he's the only one left from his little goblin camp and he didn't even want to come here in the first place. And I don't want to die today. Please, I don't want to die today. That hits totally different. And all I'm doing is telling the truth from his perspective. And it's something to think about. I saw a thing online the other day. Uh, someone was talking about, you know, when your party becomes a little too murder hobo-y, uh, to make it so that when they search the bodies, have them come across a carving knife with a small carving of a child's toy. Or a note from a loved one, you know. I've done yeah. that too. Hey, it's, you know, it'll be nice to get you home, you know. I'm uh, really I, excited for the next payment to come in. Or, my favorite one, I hit Terry with this. In like the, the third session I ever DM for him, he ran across a half-written letter home, which was, I hate working with these people. I don't want to be out here on the road robbing people anymore. I just want to come home. How are the kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terry's like, what did we do? <laughs> yep. 
Uh, all right, as always, uh, you guys can reach out to us and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. Uh, also, we're always looking for mailbag questions, that kind of thing. You guys know info at it's a mimic.com. And uh, again, word of mouth, get it out to your friends, tell people. Uh, word of mouth is really important for us. And uh, don't be afraid to, you know, share our things on social media and that kind of thing. The last thing that I want to get into right now is probably the weakest point for Dave specifically. You actually said, I'm like, Dave, can you sit in? Terry was going to be on this episode originally. I'm like, Dave, can you sit in on this? He went, I don't do voices. Fuck off. Like, yes, that's why you need to be on this episode, Dave. Normally I give a little spiel and then we ask a bunch of questions, but I want to start off asking the questions first. So grab your dice. Let's roll initiative. I got a Ten. two. Oh, two. It's All right, let's roll off. Roll off for the twos. I rolled a one. Oh, net 20. Fuck. All right. Well, Dave, you're first. Why do you or don't you do voices? You know, I'm really thinking, like, to give some credence to this, maybe I'll answer everything in a funny voice. Please don't. Actually, you know what? Go nuts. <laughs> no, I can't do it. No. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Why do you or don't you do voices when you DM? Uh, I mean, multiple reasons. Uh, insecurity is a big one. I don't want to fail, uh, which I know we've already kind of gone over that. Uh, it's, it's okay to sometimes. But I also think that there's so much going on for me as a DM that it's just another thing that I don't want to manage. If I do do a voice for them, uh, there's a reason. And that's the, like... What is that reason? It depends on their motivation, right? And maybe I'm trying to sell them as being from over here. Maybe You know, it, it could be a litany of things. But normally there will be a reason or it won't be a reason at all. It, it's just, it's kind of up in the air. I'm just... You one time did a conversation between five goblins and you voiced all of them. <laughs> yeah, I remember this. <laughs> and? And it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> but I had to put like... I had to pour myself into that. That was yeah. so hard to keep straight. And <laughs> and it was a lot of effort, wasn't it? It was. And it's just like, that was fun and it was memorable. I don't want to do that every time. Yeah, fair enough. Kyle? Uh, I do it because it's fun and I like it. And that's... That's good enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, it helps me get into character and I like playing characters, so... That's actually a point that should be stressed on because it helps you get to gain that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Real good. So... I, okay, Dave, how many voices do I do around the table? Seven. Out of how many NPCs? Also seven. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have like 40 fucking NPCs. Yeah. Um, And a lot of the time, I will give a sample of a voice. What was his name? The insufferable fucking elf. Galandar. Galandar. Galandar the elf was one of my favorite. Yes, no, and welcome and listen to me. I have all of the answers. I am Galandar. No, he was the hedonism bot. Yeah, he really was. Yeah. So from Futurama. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. However, uh, he, he's no longer with us. Uh, Thank <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. No. Everyone around the table loved to hate on Galandar. However, he was uh, he would often get laughs because he's fucking ridiculous. But I couldn't do it all of the time, especially when I'm juggling forty NPCs at a time because we're on a massive uh, quest, essentially across a desert with all of these NPCs in tow, and I couldn't do it all. So. I would give a sample of the voice and then say, the next time it comes around, well, what does Galandar think? Well, Galandar is going to be completely and totally oblivious to everything you just said, and he's going to just tout his own shit anyway uh, and and spew his own nonsense, as you would expect. So I don't have to do the voice. I can still get that point across mm. because it is too much. Dave's like, oh, yeah, five goblins was a lot. Holy shit, there are a lot of NPCs that I juggle on a regular basis. I will check in on their voices occasionally. 
But for the most part, we're going to leave it as is. And a lot of times I find that their imagination is going to do half of the lifting for me anyway. So, um, Do you guys have an opinion on the Mercer effect? The Mercer effect being Matt Mercer is so good and made it so popular that everyone is trying to emulate him and his talent. I have lots of opinions. Uh, it's, th- it's okay to be unpopular. <laughs> yeah, so... We're asking for good opinions. Uh, I think that everything he has done has been very good for Dungeons & Dragons. He has really grown this hobby, right? However, I think it gives people an unrealistic expectation as to what Dungeons & Dragons are, and it hurts because of that. But I think there's far more positive than good, or than bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, the... The overall, what you're saying is the hobby has, has thrived. Some DMs have, have suffered for it. No, I think a lot of players have because the players will listen and go, well, yeah, I guess so. Yes, the DMs have suffered because the players come to the table expecting this. And I mean, that's not what you're going to get. And as a DM, I'm not going to get the same result from my players as Mercer does, right? Like, they're, they are they are professional D&D players. Yeah. Right? He is a professional DM. Don't hold yourself to that standard. You're not going to get there unless you are also a professional. And it's okay to never get there. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Kyle, do you have an opinion? Catch-22, right? It's Yeah, he's increased it. Maybe some people take it as sort of an inspiration. It is really unfortunate that some people try to hold themselves to that standard because... That's not what this game is about, right? We're all here to have fun and to enjoy it. And uh, yeah, you don't need to hold people up on a pedestal, right? Every game is different. And you like, it doesn't, yeah. But he did, like Dave said, he did bring a lot of awareness to the game. And that's kind of exciting. Okay. Do you guys watch Critical Role at all? No, No. I watched the, the Amazon show. Okay. Oh, did you? Was it good? I didn't see it. I liked it. Yeah, yeah I liked it too. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've watched like half an episode of Critical Role. I, I've tuned in for about probably a total of four episodes. I, I appreciate what they do. Matt Mercer himself has said, do not be like me. Be your own DM. Yeah. And he very much said exactly what Dave said, only with fewer words and much more concise. Because, again, he is a public speaker, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the message was the same, even from his own mouth, that you don't have to do crazy voices to be a good dungeon master. What you need to do... Uh, uh, okay, so this is Adam now speaking, not Matt Mercer. What you need to do is tell the story, engage your players, and make sure everyone is having fun. Mm. What's the most intimidating thing about doing voices? Continuity. I, I don't want to start a voice and then drop it later and then have How it come How dare back. you call out Dan? Well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that's what it is. Like, that's just another thing for me to manage. Uh, again, I'm the lazy DM. I like reading my book and... And using the information in there and throwing in this and that and a little bit of, you know, spice it up a little. But I'm not rewriting the recipe. Oh, I guess just opening myself up to ridicule, I think, is the hardest thing for me. Is You have to have a safe environment to play in, right? Yeah. Like, a, yeah. See, I used to teach acting as well. And I saw a lot of, I taught kids. I saw a lot of kids go up for the first time in front of a room full of people with a script in their hand. And they were not expected to get it right. They just had to go up and speak some words out loud and relatively face the audience and try to understand what a character is going through. You don't have to portray it for the first little while. You just have to understand it. They would go up there and the paper would be shaking. They'd have tears in their eyes. They'd be so nervous. And this happened to mostly kids 
But I saw it happen to teenagers in a big way as well, because nobody gets ridiculed more than teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but I also saw it in some of the adults that I taught as well. The idea that I'm going to get this wrong, I'm going to fuck up. Mm. There's no way to get it wrong. If Strahd is Scottish, then he's Scottish in your campaign. That's just how it goes. Your dwarves can be uh, Transylvanian, and it will be okay. You don't have to really lean into the stereotypical voices. My favorite alternative for dwarves, by the way, is Russian. If they're not going to be Scottish, like traditionally like they are, I really like the Russian dwarves, but specifically communist dwarves that are doing it all for the clan. Oh, because they're red. They're not all red. That's kobolds. Oh. No, I think you were talking about their hair. Yeah. They got like red hair. Yeah, red hair, red beards, you know, red. They're the red army of dwarves. Moving on. And that was <laughs> and that was failing, and Dave was perfectly fine. Yeah, I'm great so, with it. <laughs> um, if someone doesn't want to do voices, what's something they can work on instead in order to differentiate one character from the next? I think a lot of players already do it with taking the character name and making it silly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it gives you that thing to latch onto. That's why a voice is really good. Like, remember Anthony, when he when we take a long break, we get back, mm. he'll start his Ulfgar voice. And Ulfgar is talking like this. But gee, guys, sometimes talks like this. Oh, no, sorry, that's not Ulfgar. That's yeah. Brian, right? And then he moves on, right? So, uh, yeah. So having just a funny name? Y- yeah. The, the, Doesn't have to be funny. A memorable name. Something that stands out, right? That's that's a, a thing that will stand out. Just grab yourself an Ikea catalog. Mm-hmm. And, and pick one of the words out of it. Yeah. This guy's name is Hemnus. Uh, <laughs> My name is Whack. Yeah. Uh, My name is Billy. <laughs> Billy Bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kyle. Uh, if someone doesn't want to do voices, what's something else that they can focus on instead? Uh, just learn to narrate. You know? Absolutely. Like, like I was saying before about swapping out of the voices and just narrating yeah. what the character says. Um, I change from first person to third person. I yeah, I do that. Megan does that a lot when she is having trouble staying in character. One of the things that I've done in the past is print out a bunch of adverbs and adjectives so that I can just put it on the inside of the DM screen and lean over really quickly and I group them based on kind of like theme so that I can say uh, I have a thousand of words for creepy or creepily or scary or frightening or uh, or goofy or ridiculous and that way I I have these words so that it'll help me narrate um to kind of give a better idea of what's going on with these characters so I want to talk really quickly about um voices and mannerisms now because I, again I did a lot of theater and stuff as well so I have a little bit of insight I'm going to try to get through this really quickly cuz this episode's run really long Um, but the very first thing that I got to say is you got to keep it appropriate. And we speak about this semi-regularly, but it's not okay to make fun of other cultures with wacky voices. Yeah, we make fun of, of like we do big, heavy, thick Russian accents, right? You're not going to catch me dead doing a stereotypical offensive Chinese voice, right? Or, uh, the, the African voice. Like I'm not, I'm not going to do it. It's offensive. It's inappropriate. Oh, no, but I'll give Pep shit for her a little bit of the Midwestern <laughs> oh, accent. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you're, you're talking about the curse of Strad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, know your audience, know your table, and know what is in good taste and what isn't. When it comes to doing accents, there are some great coaches on YouTube. TikTok is blowing up with a whole bunch of stuff right now for people 
that are doing um, uh, voice coaching and whatnot. I've taken some accent classes, uh, specifically how to sound American, and I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate the technical way to have to do voices. Some of them come very, very naturally to me, like Scottish and Irish and British. The 15 different British accents that you can do, mm. because you can be a ponce. Or you can be cooking it, right? Like you can you can go a whole bunch of different ways. I mean, there's the Canadian accent, or then you can go straight fucking Newfie, right? Like there's there's some some real variations that we have without having to rely on some of the um, the more offensive accents out there. Um, you can even just change the inflection, right? Yeah, and and where you're speaking in your mouth. Yeah, it was a big one. That's that's one of my go tos because I cannot do accents to save my life. So then that's why I recommend look it up on YouTube and go take a vocal class. If you're if you're that interested in doing it, it's out there. Mm. Um, One of my favorite things to do is listen to a podcast or something on the way into work. I drive for an hour minimum every day uh, each way to and from work. So I will listen to a podcast of someone who is uh, Welsh or Dutch, and then I will try to go along. Uh, they'll say something, I'll pause it, and I'll try to, to replicate it. Uh, it I fail brutally. Mm. But I have a lot of fun doing it, and I can't do a Dutch accent to save my life right now. I've been trying for about six weeks, and I cannot get it. All right. Um, but... Can, can we hear it? No. No, no, it's okay to fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, You're it, among friends of Boston Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Is Boston Pizza still around? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. The, just the one down there shut, I think. Uh, like three or four of them shut. Uh, the other places that Boston Pizza is it just us? Is it a Canadian? Is it a Canadian thing? Well, it's a West Coast against what's his name from the Shark Tank or whatever that owns it. The Ke- bald guy, Kevin. Yeah, it could be. I, no, I, that's I, the Office. No, Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so like you were saying about where to speak um, in your mouth as well, mm. you can also think about where your voice is coming from in your uh, what which set of vocal cords you're using. As well as where your breath is coming from. That's so. That's a big thing that I do uh, to show not only a different voice, but also distress as well. Suddenly, just being a little bit out of breath makes a world of difference, and you can become more exasperated just by controlling your breathing. Or if you hold your breath sometimes too, you can get different kind of voices out. And I'm not doing an accent. I'm just holding my breath. And yes, Dave. So I'm thinking about Wadwick. Oh. <laughs> From the from the one shot a while ago, yeah. <laughs> Wadwick. Yeah, oh yeah, Roderick over here. Oh no, it's not my name. <laughs> my name is actually Wadwick. He was a vampire with a front teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, that was Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a yeah, Christmas that was a while episode. ago. Yeah, because yeah. all he wanted for Christmas was two front teeth. Yes, yes. Another thing that I do, and we've talked about this a little bit already, is posture. Posture will definitely affect the voice that I have, and it's it's the difference a lot of times between low class and high class characters as well. When I want to be kind of an upper crust, I will slow myself down, I will sit up straight, and I will start to enunciate. And that alone is enough to change my voice to represent a different character. However, it's not an accent. I'm not really doing a voice. I am just manipulating my own physicality enough to make it sound a little different. What's tone? Tone and timber matter a lot as well. So a lot of times people think about doing a wacky, crazy character voice and they think accent. You don't need to. There are a million ways of going about it. Mm. It's also how um, Terry does female voices is he just softens things a little bit. And it doesn't sound like he's doing a girl's voice. 
That's just how he differentiates between his male voices and his female voices. And it's just become second nature. Like, I've known Terry long enough that I can tell when he lapses into that. Okay, this is the kind of character I'm getting. Not every female is softly spoken, but that's his go-to shorthand when he needs to suddenly come up with a female character. Mm. And, of course, there is mannerisms. The the arm movements, the um, not just leaning in, like I said before... But you know what I mean already when I say the the hand movements of an Italian person. They speak, yeah. You guys are both just jerking off people. Like what? It's well then. That was wow. I'm uncomfortable. Um, That that one failed, and you should both be ashamed. So so, um, uh, no way. I'm sorry. We don't kink shame on this podcast. There you go, Megan. That's the one for the episode. That's not a fist. So. So uh, anything's a fist if you're brave enough. <laughs> so there are all sorts of different mannerisms that you can use as well. Um, I would avoid for the most part having just the weird twitch, the eye twitch and the the neck tweak, right? It's to show crazy people. It's a little on the nose. I, I use it really, really quickly for an inconsequential NPC. But if you want a crazy NPC that's following them around, said they're buying to mess with. There are other more subtle, crazy ways to do things like simply staring off and becoming very monotone and then talking to yourself about how this is just the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm, I'm sorry, what were you saying? The best crazy is under the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's like they always say in every every um, news interview, the reporter's like, "Oh, did could you tell? No, he always seemed like such a normal guy, mm. right? It's the quiet, normal ones you got to watch." And again, description. You can say the dragon has a big, deep breath, and he breathes little plumes of smoke out from his nostrils every time that he uh, hits an O sound, and so. You breathe like this. But because I set it all up ahead of time, just doing that little bit of a voice gives enough. I'm not doing anything dragony with my voice. It's just different enough with the description to paint the picture that you need. Have you ever seen videos of Benedict Cumberbatch doing smog? Yeah. Like jumping around in the suit, like getting like right into the character. Yeah. Like that is almost... If you want to see someone really get into it with the mannerisms and stuff to get the voice across, like, or, watch or that. Andy Circus doing literally any motion cap stuff. Yeah, like, they, they it, just, they, it's so good. It's, yeah, especially the Planet of the Apes stuff for Andy Circus. Yeah. Like, he gets into it, and you, you can feel emotion based on how he's walking like a, like an ape, which is just bizarre. Yeah. So, what's your favorite NPC that you've run as a DM to wrap this episode up? I got a nat 20. Oh, nat 1. I got a 3. Um, my favorite NPC that I've run um, was probably... Hmm, I don't know. I wasn't expecting to go first on this. Um, you want to hold your action? I'll go first. Sure. I'll hold my action. Uh, all right. I don't have one. Um, I'm going to be a little off the you know main... Words? Yeah. Can't sense it's difficult. Stuff. Good. Me go first now. Yeah. Um, Thank God I held my Nailed action. It. Yeah. So... So if you're ever worried about fucking up, at least you didn't fuck up as bad as Dave. Yeah, well, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so my favorite NPC is the ones that have been, uh, that span multiple DMs. Like Bernard the Bard? Bernard the Bard. Well, I'm not sure. Were you around for Merrick and Derek? No. I'm no, sorry, I'm, what? Merrick and Derek. There were these two, like, town guards. Oh, you said American Derek. No, yeah, no. That's <laughs> <I heard> <laughs> Merrick 
and Derek. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there are these like two brother guards that just kind of like pop up every so often. Like they're they're and I think Sean was DMing his campaign when we started that. So I was right at the end of 3.5. Uh and uh, they've shown up a couple of times. I'm not sure they were ever named specifically, but uh, again, the ones that like the generational ones, the ones that go from DM to DM to DM. If uh Sean were to, you know, do another campaign, I would expect to see Bernard the Bard at some point. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. Those are my favorites because there's just everybody's put a little bit of uh polish on it and it just makes it so much better. Why are they memorable? Because it's been a collaborative effort. And, 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 and they evolve over time? Oh, big time, right? I mean, Bernard the Bard, we've had, I've had level one and it was right through to level 20. Yeah. You know, and I, I have made spell lists for him and everything. Like I have fleshed out this character and I've not. And they're not the same Bernard the Bard. Sometimes they are. Oh, my Bernard, Bernard the Bard in my head is always like plane hopping. And every time he comes through, he's just a different version of himself, like alternate dimension version of himself. Yeah, so maybe a more multiverse same. version of himself. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, but I mean, that's that's my, the ones that everybody, that everybody's fingerprints are on. Which means there's no right way or wrong way to play him. Sure. Which is a fantastic way to think about NPCs. Yeah. Mm. No one is going to play Strahd or uh, Mordenkainen or Xanathar the same way as others, right? Kyle, do you have a... Favorite NPC that you've run as a DM? I wrote a Wanty pirate who was kind of like just a like a charmer, and he was just really fun to play. Why? What was, what was he like? Uh, it was just enjoyable. I like he, he was center of the party. He just wanted to have fun and like you know a little bit of Jack Sparrow, a little bit of oh I don't know what else, but it just yeah it was just it, it was charming and easygoing it was and charming, easygoing, and you know did he have a voice? Uh, he did, but I can't remember. But I, there was definitely some rolling S's. It was, it's been like a year since I played it, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that my favorite NPC that I've ever played was not human. I uh, was not even a humanoid. It was Dan's familiar in the last campaign, who was a raven named Zoltan. And he kept using Zoltan to go scout ahead. And, and without fail, Zoltan would die. If they ever needed to sacrifice something on the altar, Zoltan, get up there, you're going to die. And Zoltan fucking hated Dan's character. It kept getting summoned over and over again. But also has an obligation to Dan's character. So I got to hop around or flap around as Zoltan and never actually speak. But he would caw or when Dan was doing something particularly egregious, he would just make eye contact and poop. <laughs> and it was so much fun to let Dan know that he was being a, just a pain in the ass. He was being a shit. He, yeah, but he like, and this would not just be in character. When Dan was hogging the spotlight at the table, Zoltan would flap down. Keep in mind, familiars are bigger than their regular versions and ravens are big. So Zoltan was like two feet tall. Dan was a gnome who was like two feet tall. So they looked eye to eye. So every once in a while, he'd be sitting there babbling away and Zoltan would just land in front of him and give him that look, that head turn. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm sorry, I shut up now. <laughs> and he, just, I managed to shame him with a raven on the regular, to the point where we got about three quarters of the way through the campaign. And Dan said to me, does Zoltan like me? Because I feel like I need to make him like me more. I'm like, then you need to be nice to him. So downtime suddenly became giving him treats and snacks and treating him like a pet. And a friend. And remember, they could communicate telepathically. So he would tell Zoltan to do things. And he would. the only thing he would hear would be... <sighs> <laughs> Was Zoltan the name of that guy that we went to the freak show at the 
downtown with? Z- oh. Zoltan, the torture king. Oh, was it? Wasn't it? Yeah, the guy, the human pincushion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Zoltan? I maybe. I don't know. I have his book, so I'll look <laughs> it up. All right, I'm sorry. I'm curious. Zoltan is a great name, by the way. Yeah. And it's actually one of the like recommended NPC names, I think, for Barovians and Curse of Strahd. Like, it's it's one of my favorite go-to names. And it's uh, it's also the name of the Raven in the Dark Tower series as well. Like, it just is a quick little... It hey, wasn't that Adam Sandler movie, Don't Mess With the Zoltan? No, no, no. It was Zohan. Yeah, I know, I know. Anyway, um, any final thoughts before we wrap this up on voices, on uh, role-playing, on NPCs that you want to give to the people out there? Dave? Do what you're comfortable with. This is supposed to be fun. If you're going to sit there and work, work yourself up about it to the point where you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Period. Do you think people should push the boundaries, though? Yeah, but I mean, don't... Moderation is key. Right? Manage manage your own expectations of yourself. That's a good... Yeah, a good way to put it. Like, you don't have to set the world on fire. You don't have to do anything. No, you don't. Right? No, and this episode is specifically for the people that want to dabble and play. That are not great at it yet. And that don't necessarily want to uh, want to sit there quietly in the corner just, just describing combat. Sure, and I think this is maybe a conversation you have in your session zero. Hey guys, look, at this table, we're open to doing voices and we realize that sometimes that's not going to work. So if it's not working, don't be a dick about it, right? Like, let's have some tolerance. Let's help each other out. Mm. That is a session zero topic. Yeah. Kyle, do you have any final words of wisdom? Yeah, just get out there and have fun. Try not to put too much pressure on yourself. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. I, I got to say, I think the last thing that we didn't really touch on is there's a time in a place to not try out a new voice. And I would recommend not prepping a voice for the first time for your big bad evil guy to monologue or to, can you imagine they've never spoken to the the big evil lich and he comes out with a wacky voice and everyone at the table then laughs him down. <laughs> big bad evil guy comes out, gee guys, <laughs> you guys sure have been very pesky. <laughs> Unless that's what you're going for. So and, practice it in a mirror first, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, if you're going for a big, heavy emotional moment, maybe think more about honesty and uh, sincerity as opposed to voices. And sometimes when you're sitting around eating snacks with your friends and rolling dice about who's got the biggest sword, being sincere is enough of a tonal shift to get everything that you need out of the moment. And you don't have to do a voice or a mannerism, or anything else. So I guess the big thing for me is understand your goals, your motivations, and your tactics, and be honest about them. So that's all for this discussion on role-playing and voices in D&D 5th Edition. We've got a lot more for Dungeon Master Insights, so check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be digging into some more updates and new details on dragons from Fizzband's treasury of dragons thanks everyone for listening to another episode of it's a mimic podcast if you'd like to support us we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com as well as some store for some sweet ass merch so we also rely on word of mouth to get the news of the podcast out there to the community so please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on itunes spotify and youtube as well as most other podcast apps hold on now do the last sentence in a voice Oh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> Damn right I am. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic. 
where you never know what you are going to get. Dave, you have a voice to do the last sentence. Gee, guys, <laughs> thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. I was going to do one too, but I can't fucking beat that. <laughs> this has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. You're an NPC. What is your I question? am a human being. No. no, you are not. No, you're you're my NPC, essentially. Okay. We're all everybody else's NPCs. Oh, I actually refer to the audience as NPCs on no. more than one occasion, so. Okay. Uh, anyways, let's say you're an NPC. What is your quest reward? What reward am I going to get? Well, yeah, it depends what, what the quest getting? is, right? I mean, yeah. a hearty handshake, a, a healthy thank you. Yeah, the the feeling of accomplish of an accomplishment and a job well done. See, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. So you guys are getting murdered as soon as. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I don't know. Two fifty and a can of pop. <laughs> <laughs> That's soda. Yeah. For for those of you in America, yeah. soda. <clears throat> it's three hundred and fifty five milliliters of soda. Yeah. Dealer's choice too. You can have whatever you'd like. Mister Pib, it is. Yeah, Mister Pib, whatever. You want a vanilla gonna, one? Gonna I'll that, do that. Find some of that coconut mango water. Oh, no, no, no. You can have some good old-fashioned squirt. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of It's America. After Talk. <laughs> so, Kyle, tell me, what is it, Dungeon and or Dragon? What? You'll have to speak up. That's okay. You'll hear it when you go to edit this later. Yeah. I. You don't know if it's me. <laughs> I do know it's you. As well, specifically, it says you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I do know. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye.